The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hello, and welcome to this film screening of One Step at a Time. I'm Kim Charlson, and I am the co-chair of the Audio Description Project for the American Council of the Blind. And I'm up here with my fellow co-chair. Hello, my name is Carl Richardson, and I am the other (laughs) co-chair. And we both live in Boston, coincidence enough, but about a couple miles apart. So we um, co-chair well because we live in the same community and we talk to each other frequently about audio description activities. So um, I'm really excited to present to you today and bring to the convention um, a member of ACB in the Houston area, uh, Michael McCulloch, who is a blind film director. Um, He's a lot of things, an extensive career at NASA, um, an athlete, and you're going to learn a lot more about him in today's film. I also want to acknowledge our, our Zoom host and our streamers today, Travis and Herbie. Thank you for your help with um, this event. And I'm going to turn the microphone over to Michael so he can tell us a little bit about himself and set the stage for the film we're about to view today. Welcome, Michael. Thank you so much, Kim. And I really appreciate uh, and honored just to have the uh, ACB Audio Description Project uh, sponsoring this event. Do Who likes adventure? Clap of hands. All right. Yes, yes, yes. I know I love an adventure, and uh, shortly we're going to take you along on an adventure that I had recently in the last few years. Uh, as Kim said, uh, well, she called me a blind filmmaker, and actually this was my first uh, venture into filmmaking. I uh, am a retired NASA engineer, had worked down at the NASA Johnson Space Center for about 35 years before I retired in 2017. And, uh, after that, uh, well, even before I retired, uh, I uh, started a nonprofit called iBug Today. We uh, do. Well, okay, apparently some people have heard of iBug Today. That's great. We appreciate that. Uh, so, it, I, for those that don't know, we're a nonprofit that uh, does training, accessibility training for the blind on various. Uh, Mostly Apple products, but we do also train on uh, Android products. But we do not do Windows. So I wasn't really an avid hiker uh, early early on. Uh, It really started after you know I lost my vision. I I, I've got glaucoma. I was diagnosed in my late twenties. It was a real slow progression of my uh, vision loss. Uh, after about 10 years, one eye went, and then another 15 years later, the second eye went. And so at that point, I got, uh, like a lot of people that uh, lose their vision later in life, you know, went through the grieving process, and I got stuck in a depression state for a number of months and uh, kind of stayed there. Uh, finally, uh, was able to uh, come out of that after six, seven months, and started, you know, finding resources and learning the technology, which allowed me to get back to work, 
and, you know, started learning uh, O&M skills and, you know, really taking baby steps to, to go out and do things. And uh, I had, you know, been a, a runner. I had uh, worked out quite a bit. Uh, you know, when I, when I had sight, I played baseball. But, uh, I, you know, when I, after I lost my vision and I thought, you know, everything was over, including my career. Really, I thought my life was over. But, uh, you know, came to fa- I really came to find out that, uh, you know, there is life after vision loss. And like I said, learning the O&M skills uh, allowed me to first just, you know, walk out, go get the mail down the street where my mailbox was. Then to start taking longer walks around the neighborhood. And then eventually, you know, going out to parks and walking around the parks around uh, where close to where I live. And uh, then that's when I really got interested in hiking. And that uh, I started connecting with some people that were hikers. And, you know, obviously, if you're hiking in mountains, you're not you can't use a white cane. And so I depended on sighted guides to call out you know, give me directions, call out steps and things like that. And, and you'll see some of that in the film. Uh, as far as filmmaking, uh, really hadn't planned to, you know, document this hike to Machu Picchu. It was just going to be a, you know, something that I, well, kind of a bucket list thing, but uh, it's just something, it was just a personal goal for me to do. But uh, after somebody suggested that, you know, I, I should film it, I started thinking about it and, so that's what ended up happening. And uh, not having any background in any kind of filmmaking, I had to learn quite a bit in a short amount of time. I, uh, you know, as executive producer, I was uh, responsible for all facets of filmmaking. And that started with, you know, coming up with the budget, figuring out the funding sources, going out and trying to find the funding, uh, de- determining what the cast would be. Uh, you know, we had to uh, select the uh, company that was going to be guiding us on the trail, the outfitting company, and also as far as the overall story, you know, putting together a storyboard for the uh, project and working through that, and just, you know, that would determine, you know, exactly what kinds of things we'd want to film. The cast would be, of course, the guides that I would have, uh, people that helped train me, uh, some friends, family members that would be, you know, provide backstory, and others uh, that, that would be interviewed uh, post uh, the hike. Also, uh, all of the, uh, what do you call it, the uh, background music, and then all the post-production, uh, you know, getting down into the editing. Uh, we shot probably a total of, uh, uh, I want to say over 50, 60 hours of film. And then it, you know, having to edit all that out and figure out what's going to fit the story that we wanted to tell. And get and we got it down. We were, our goal was to get it under 40 minutes because a lot of uh, film festivals, uh, short short stories are cut off around 40 minutes so that was our goal and so this film is 38 minutes so that's uh, a little bit on the film and then of course the uh, 
to make it accessible, uh, finding the captioning company, uh, finding a, someone to do the audio description. Actually, the audio description is done uh, by a friend of mine. Uh, she actually does audio description for uh, live uh, performances, theater, that kind of thing. And so this was her first uh, time to uh, do audio description on a film. So that was kind of a first for her, too. Then we, uh, you know, after we uh, put it all together, started uh, submitting it to different film festivals. Uh, in Houston, the uh, Real Abilities Houston Film Festival, which is a festival uh, for film and arts, uh, for people with disabilities, by people with disabilities. And so it premiered there back in February 2021. Uh, the following year in 2022, it was selected at the Awareness Festival in Los Angeles. And then in the other festival that got selected for it was the uh, Toronto Film Festival. And that's the one where we got the uh, uh, Best Cinematography Award for so we were really proud of that. What else? I, uh, after, you know, the film went out, and, well, it also we showed it at various, you know, corporate uh, events and other uh, blindness organizations and different uh, smaller companies, and even in some schools we've uh, shown it now, so. It, word is slowly getting out about what we've done, and people are interested in you know seeing it, seeing everything about it. I guess that's about it. Well, let me tell you a little bit about. Uh, I don't know if people know about Machu Picchu, Peru itself. So Machu Picchu uh, basically was a uh, Inca citadel back in the uh, built it back in the 1400s, and. Uh, they don't really know for sure, but the best guess is uh, it was uh, built for the Inca rulers at that time, kind of as a, uh, well, you know, the fortress, the citadel, and then it became kind of a retreat. And to get supplies there, they uh, had to cut steps into the uh, mountainside between Cusco, which is about 26 miles from uh, Machu Picchu, and they had to cut these steps into the stone mountains and just, you know, just, there's so many mountains and two of them uh, reach up to 14,000 feet. And that became known as the Classic Inca Trail, which is one of the most popular trails. And that trail has uh, become so popular that they've had to restrict the number of uh, hikers that can go on it each day. And, and the Peruvian government even uh, will not even let people hike on it on their own anymore. Uh, they have to hire one of the uh, approved uh, outfitting companies to guide you on that. And that way it keeps it all, everything evenly spaced and uh, preserves the trail. So that, that's a little bit about uh, Machu Picchu itself. Uh, some people ask me, you know, Machu Picchu, uh, what does it mean? It's Inca, or uh, I guess the language at that time was Quechua, and uh, basically means a big mountain or big peak. And so that's where Machu Picchu name came from. So that, with that, uh, I guess we can get started with the film. All right. One step at a time, a journey of hope commitment and resiliency. 
Opening scenes of Peru, including a holy man ringing a bell while looking around, a llama eating grass in a field with Machu Picchu Mountain in the background, women sitting on the ground dyeing yarn and weaving blankets, and groups of people in traditional clothing and headwear dancing on a street. Words on the screen. Michael McCullough, Janice Kapang, Bernie Tretta, and Zach Cater Syker. Juan Carlos Corimania, Editors, Josh Thornton, Xander Komnick, and Robert Harrington. Produced and filmed by Robert Harrington, Bella Media. Executive producer, Michael McCullough. Over a picture of Michael lying on his stomach, peering over the edge of a steep embankment, the title, One Step at a Time, in bold white letters, scrolls up from the bottom to the top of the screen. The words, Cusco, Peru, appear over a time-lapse scene of people walking through the streets, followed by aerial views of the city, and finally, a revolving shot of Michael in a navy blue coat and gray Peruvian hat with tassels overlooking the city from a high vantage point. Robert Harrington, video producer. The first time I met Michael, he seemed strong, determined, and just all around a great guy. Denise's sister. We're only three years apart, but it always kept us in a different school, mostly, right? So we had different friends, different interests. And so what I do know about Michael, and more vividly, you know, like teen years, is he was in my corner many times, you know, when you're just going through things as teenagers. So he was a great big brother from that aspect. Also, probably a lot of people don't know, he was a pretty avid baseball player. And he played Little League the entire time he grew up. And then he played high school baseball and, you know, did very well. He was a great third baseman. Lauren Daughter. He'd have me on the weekends. He'd take me to do the fun things like amusement parks and movies and the theater. Um, so we always got to do, try new things with him. When I was a kid, we went to the beach a lot. I knew he had windsurfed when he was younger, and um, he tried to teach me, you know, to catch waves and stuff. On that was one of my most fond memories of him growing up was going to the beach and trying to, you know, surf. And I also knew as a kid he was going on ski trips a lot. Michael skiing. When I was like 12 or 13, he became passionate about the most important thing, and that was Jesus. And so that was a big deal in his life and in my picture of Michael with an adult. Until I was an adult, then we developed a stronger relationship. Michael McCullough. An important part of my life is my daughter Lauren and granddaughter River. I especially like spending time with them and going to Rivers softball and volleyball games. Him and River, my daughter, they have a good relationship. They Pictures of Michael and River sticking out bright blue colored tongues. She's nine now, so she's a little too cool for the silly stuff that he likes to do. But uh, when she was younger, they were daredevils together. Sandia Rao, friend. quiet exterior, but he has a big heart. In 2014, I broke five major bones. He called me every day of that long recovery. I even remember him coming to the hospital to feed me soup. Not sure how wise it was to have a blind guy feeding a scalding liquid, but as always, he did it perfectly. 
and he even made airplane noises to make me smile. Pastor Michael T. I first Dunn. met Michael by him uh, just coming to Bible study that I was leading and then being a part of the congregation. I've learned that Michael is really passionate about serving the blind community. That's a big part of what he has done after his vision loss is to help out others just to see that same thing for themselves. I recently have been very involved in my uh, nonprofit organization. Video of an iBug meeting in progress. In 2011, gradually over time, became a nonprofit, and we've been training the blind and visually impaired to use different types of technology. First started losing my vision back in my late 20s. Started going to the doctor at that time because my mother, who went blind from glaucoma, kind of ran in the family there. So I started having my vision checked. Sure enough, they found in my late 20s early signs of glaucoma. Dr. Swathi Modi. The level of his vision was around 2200 in his better eye and 2400 in his worse eye. Today, the vision in the better eye has reduced to 22,400. Michael, reading an eye chart. We're nearly no light perception in the left eye. When I first met Michael, he was working at NASA. The level of vision that he had didn't seem to impact any type of job function. When, when I was growing up, he was passionate about uh, work, like NASA, you know, just space stuff. He's, he's always been passionate about space stuff. He's always been the Rice graduate, the NASA engineer, and so, yeah, super smart. <laughs> Started out working on the space shuttle program, which was just getting kicked off in the early 80s. After that, moved over to the International Space Station program, and then finally retired a couple of years ago in uh, the spring of 2017. I uh, retired after 35 years working down at NASA. After losing his vision, uh, he he remained, you know, passionate about like trying new things and, and always, you know, pushing the boundaries. Achilles International is a global organization that helps disabled persons to participate in mainstream sports and really any activities that they would like to accomplish. Bernie Tretta, guide. I was running a marathon and there was a blind man that was being guided and he was about the same pace as me so we ended up running most of the marathon next to each other and talking to each other and he and his guide were big believers in Achilles and told me all about it but they were from New York City and they're like I don't know and if there's anything in Houston like you should look it up so I got online and looked it up and emailed them and they said there's not a chapter here but you can start one and I was like you're right. So I called New York and they said, well, we happen to have somebody else that's interested, so why don't you go ahead and start the chapter? And I did, and seven years later, here we are. Video of Bernie helping a woman into a hand cycle. To help you get out there and do that. People don't realize they really can still do CrossFit and yoga and participating in sports. As long as you're creative, there generally aren't a lot of Michael doing yoga. Michael standing next to an axe-throwing bullseye. I'm planning to do this hike to Machu Picchu. My hope is that others will be empowered to go out and explore you know, new physical activities, other experiences, to be able to see that there are no limits to what they can achieve. Michael contacted me and said he wanted to make a documentary about this hike to Machu Picchu. I met with him and we sat down and he explained the whole trip to me and I felt a little bit overwhelmed because this was a very challenging hike to do, especially in trying to film it. Aerial views so of Machu Picchu. 
So after talking with Michael and praying about it, I felt confident that I could, I could make it happen. I just remember thinking to myself, how can you do that? being visually impaired. That's like a once in a lifetime experience for him. You know, at the same time, it's kind of like, how are you gonna do that? You know, uh, it's just, it takes a lot of training. Chuck French, Houston Adaptive Sports and Recreation. Week in, week out, he's always exercising. It's not just a social visit for him. He's here for a reason. That's to get stronger, to get faster, to, to volunteer too. I had met Bernie Tretta. I knew she was also connected with Achilles International. Michael and I instantly became friends. He did a 5K with us and really started participating a lot. I uh, approached her and her husband, Zach. I knew they were avid hikers and also uh, marathoners. Probably two years ago now, he came up to me and said, I really want to do Machu Picchu. Would you be interested? And I said, yes. And he was like, well, you should probably ask Zach. And I was like, oh, okay. And he was like, Zach would be a great guide. And he, he, Michael likes to say that I'm a little wild and a little crazy and Zach's not. And so he wanted, he definitely wanted Zach there. I asked Zach and he just, without any hesitation was like, yeah, let's do it. I don't know if that you've ever said no. He always just supports me. Zach Cater Syker, guide. My take on it was, let's just get out there and get in as good of a shape as we can. Janice Coppen, Guide. For Light, which is a program, an international program actually, that is for visually and mobily impaired people. So there were sit skiers and then blind skiers. Michael and Janice hiking on Red Rock Mountains. Where she lived and we would go hiking uh, pretty much every day for a week. Each week that I went out there, I made actually about four trips out there. So that helped me tremendously. He's got the mindset, I can do it. And if your mind says you can do something, you can probably figure out how to do it. And I think that's kind of where I am now, too. I live right outside of uh, Grand Mesa, which is the highest flat top mountain in the world. And so we can go up there cross-country skiing and hiking. Words on the screen, training for the hike, followed by images of Michael lifting weights in the gym, hiking in the woods with Bernie and Zach, running up a hill, Michael in group exercise classes, Michael climbing upstairs, climbing a ladder, hiking in the woods, Robert climbing upstairs. Going into this trip, we had a, a great plan in place. We we're going to find a corporate sponsor to fund it, four personal guides to guide Michael, an extra porter to take care of the video gear, myself and another videographer to film the whole hike. Circumstances happen. The porter didn't get ordered. We didn't have an extra videographer. There was no corporate sponsor that had come in. A lot of things got in the way and the original plan just got reduced and had to be minimized. The way this would work is Michael would have three-sided guides that would call out steps in front of him. Bernie and Zach, who were avid runners, marathoners, and then Janice, who was a little bit older, but she lived at altitude, so she hiked almost every single day. Two weeks prior to our trip, been having knee pain. The doctors told me, you know, my meniscus was starting to tear during that time period. Finally, it was starting to get serious enough. I went ahead and had an MRI, and the doctor called me uh, one day and said, uh, your meniscus has torn all the way through. And by this time, it was only two days prior to the trip, and I sent an email note to the rest of the group. I'll never forget it. I was sitting at my desk, and this email comes through. The MRI showed the meniscus had torn through, and that's what's causing me the primary pain in my knee and to buckle at times. It will require surgery to repair it when I get back. In the meantime, I will just have to brace and wrap it as best I can and take a lot of drugs. 
I couldn't believe it. I was like, I don't know what you want me to do with this email, Michael. What are you saying? Are you saying you don't want to go? And why are you only telling us two days before? I'd actually thought about postponing it, but I knew at this point, if I postponed it, it might never happen. He said, oh, I'm just telling you to let you know and that we're going to be a little slower, but there's no changes to the plan. I was very skeptical. Again, he has the mindset he's going to go do this. It's not going to stop him. We'll see what happens. But the money has been spent. We're on our way. <laughs> Words on the screen. June 9th, 2019. Scenes from the airport. A crowded airport lobby, boarding the plane with passport in hand. A map showing a yellow pulsing bullseye at Houston, Texas. View out the window of a plane lifting off, then coming down to a yellow pulsing bullseye at Peru. Knowing that we were going to be hiking over some passes that were near 14,000 feet, we needed to acclimate going into Cusco, which is right around 11,000 feet. The day before the hike, we went on the city tour and we stopped for lunch and Michael orders a guinea pig. We had seen people holding guinea pigs up on sticks. You buy a guinea pig on a stick. So Michael knew he wanted to try that. So I'm sitting across the table from Michael and he's just chomping down on this guinea pig and it just makes me nauseous. I was already feeling some altitude sickness. Now watching him eat this guinea pig was just putting me over the edge. Everything was great until we saw Michael eat the guinea pig. So of course I wanted to try that. They bring it out to you and it's the full guinea pig. And I swear, if he could have seen it, he wouldn't have eaten it. Altitude, 11,152 feet. In the altitude, uh, just walking around the town, I could feel that impact. Peruvian women walking up the street. The group touring Cusco. Juan Carlos, can-do trail guide. That is the most important thing that you need to take with you to pass the control. We thought can-do had told Juan Carlos, our guide, that Michael was visually impaired, and they hadn't. And it turns out Juan Carlos learned about that at our debrief meeting the day before we started the hike. After spending the day with Juan Carlos on the city tour, I was very confident that he would be able to get us to Machu Picchu. And when we met his team, there's 11 of them in total that are going to carry everything that we need to make it for the next four days. These porters carry all our food, all our water. They do all the cooking. They all do all the tent setup. They do all Can the Can-do porters packing up gear. They take off after we start out hiking, and they have our next campsite totally set up by the time we get there. They are just truly amazing people to watch work. A wide-angle shot of Cusco, Peru with white fluffy clouds rolling across the sky fade to black. On June 12th at 10 a.m. we started the Inca Trail hike to Machu Picchu. It was so much excitement and reality finally coming to fruition. We're about to start the Inca Trail. It was a beautiful crisp morning and it was you know two years of work and a year of training to get there. It could not have been more beautiful. I was just astounded by the beauty. Most of the trail is either kind of sandy, rocky soil, some kind of flat stones along the way. And I think the altitude was not that much of an altitude change. Michael's doing great on day one. Chugging along at a pretty good pace. He doesn't seem to be too bothered. We're not at very high altitude yet. He doesn't seem to be in pain. Day one was fantastic. I really had a lot of hope like, wow, if this whole trail is like this, this is gonna be amazing. 
We've been hiking about three hours so far this morning. The team arriving at their lunch stop as the porters line up and clap. He managed just fine that first day, I thought. I remember we were all like shocked with how much food we got. I think we were all just kind of expecting like trail mix. A trail mix or <laughs> you know, a sandwich or something like that. You know, come out with this like five family style dishes and all sorts of stuff. And then even desserts. Yeah. It's just amazing what they could prepare and cook each day, just every day preparing these fantastic meals for us. The team continues to hike in a single file using two trekking poles. Juan Carlos, in his bright orange can-do shirt, leads the way. Michael has a bright yellow blind sign on his blue backpack as the group climbs stone stairs. They pass a black pig and a tannish white kitten cuddled together sleeping. They pass through a wooden gate that leads to a flat grassy campsite. The porters line up and clap as the team arrives. 230 feet above sea level. From here tomorrow we are going to take that duration. Far away up there is located the Dead Woman Pass, our first mountain pass, okay? The camera pans the campsite. Orange tents are spread out across the flat, grassy clearing. A chicken walks near one of the tents. The view turns upward to the mountain, fade to black. Day two, probably one of the hardest days of my entire life. Day two hike was going to be one of our toughest days, and it was going to be at the steepest hike that we'd be making. Day two would be about seven miles. I think at least six of those miles is just straight up. We were going from our campsite there up to 14,000 feet. would go over Dead Woman's Pass. I was excited for day two. I know it was the hardest day. I wanted to kind of see and experience that. As we hiked up, I was feeling fairly strong. I knew just because of the visual impairment, we were going to be going slower than, you know, everyone else that were hiking. And sure enough, as we hiked along the way, people would be passing us. On the way up that morning, you know, I think there was probably, you know, three or four other hikers from other groups that we saw going back the other direction. So, you know, kind of... The group climbs very steep, rocky steps. You know, they basically say, you know, they send them back with either one of the porters or the assistant cook. One of the problems with the trail is that there's no way off the trail. There's no train, there's no road, there's no escape route. They can't even get helicopters to every single part of the trail. And so if there's an emergency, you're kind of at the mercy of God, nature, and your trail guide. Uh, on the way up started taking some medication, pain meds for my knee. I was starting to feel a little bit of pain from it there. Maybe it was an hour, hour and a half before lunch. You know, Michael was really kind of slowing down, taking you know a few more breaks. At some point, Juan Carlos took his backpack from him and realized how heavy it was. You know, Michael started hiking without his backpack, which I think was a, a fight to get away from him. I know I was you know, physically fit. I felt relatively good about my fitness, other than the knee. 
pain that I was feeling. Michael looked like he was just suffering from severe altitude sickness. No one knew that he was actually taking opioids for the pain. One of the problems is that it slows your respiration and you need to be breathing at a much faster rate when you're at altitude and there's much thinner air. Michael, unfortunately, was taking something that's decreasing his respiration and um, he just started declining and really, you know, getting lethargic and confused and even hallucinating. He was seeing buildings. Michael was just just pale. He looked white. And part of that was the sunscreen. He'd rubbed it all over his face. But part of that was also just the pain he was going through and the medicine he was taking. Juan Carlos got really concerned thinking that he was um, having oxygen deprivation or problems from the altitude. And so they sat him down. Michael laying back in the grass holding an oxygen mask to his face. Oxygen mask off after three minutes and there was no change in Michael. Juan Carlos was still really concerned. I guess he felt like I was, you know, having issues breathing and probably I guess I was because I was breathing pretty heavily. I think he was debating what do we do? Do we keep moving forward? At what point do I say he can't go on? Of course the end goal everybody wants to get to Machu Picchu. You know that was something to be looking forward to but uh, most hikers know that this day to hike the to get over Dead Woman's Pass is probably the ultimate part of the trip. He was either shortly before or shortly after he took oxygen. Was, he actually fell over one time. You know, I remember, you know, Bernie and I were probably 10 feet behind him, you know, and Juan Carlos was turned backwards on the trail facing us because we were asking him some question about either a rock or a plant or something like that. And all of a sudden he just turns around, sprints and dives and just kind of like knocks Michael's. And Michael has started to kind of fall over towards the edge of the cliff. He was able to get there, you know, just in time to kind of help you know, soften his fall. Juan Carlos never, <laughs> never missed up, uh, missed the opportunity to take a good selfie, especially when uh, it, one of his passengers was passed out behind him. <laughs> I can't imagine the pain that Michael was experiencing, but you know, he, he never stopped. He just kept going. He's still chugging along. It's slow, um, you know, step, step, but he's slowly but surely making it up to the top. It was very challenging, you know, and. And it, and it wasn't probably until we were about 100 feet from the top that I really started to get confident that Michael was going to make it. Everybody that was on the trail, which was almost a constant procession of people, were always passing us, and Michael had his blind tag on his back, and they all kind of like, wow, how's he doing this? I can remember Bernie and others saying that, hey, we reached the top, and I, had, I guess I wasn't really aware of it, didn't really click to me. It makes me proud of Michael, definitely. It was a very, very hard hike. It was, it was difficult, and he did it. We got up there early enough that we could kind of cross our poles so that he could walk through it. You know, everybody was really excited that he had made it to that point. For me, I had never hiked over about 11,500 feet. To reach that, probably one of my ultimate goals for the whole trip. For him to have a torn meniscus, a herniated disc, high altitude, opioids, and blind. He climbed up 5,000 feet that day over a 14,000 foot pass. It was tough. After making it over a dead woman's pass on the descent, you know, it was again, very steep, very big steps, very rocky. My knee pain at that point, just, you know, pounding on the knee, it started becoming just really excruciating. Well, going down is more difficult for me, too. Um, it's harder on the knees. 
every single step he took going down was just a jolt on that knee and he started swaying and you can tell this wasn't going to end well. Juan Carlos, you know, recognizing that I was swaying had uh, connected a little rope to my backpack and he was following me holding that making sure I didn't fall over as we were going down the hill. I think at this point we all felt that it was going to get easier. You know as soon as we started down the trail we, we realized that that wasn't going to be the case. Juan Carlos I guess realized you know we're not going to make it to the next campsite before it gets dark. He got a couple of the porters to come back and they got a backpack kind of made a makeshift little cradle and straps. Literally they were carrying me down on this little cradle backpack. I mean, they're very experienced in those mountains. Yeah. Oh, yeah, can't believe they can keep my weight over their shoulders. Seeing the porters carry Michael down the mountain was incredible. The rest of us really had trouble keeping up with how fast that they went. It was after dark when we arrived at camp. But we all thought, you know what, the hardest part's over. It should just get easier from here. And we still thought that all of the problems Michael was having was because of the altitude. So once we got back down to 11,000 feet where the camp was, Juan Carlos, he said, don't worry, Michael's going to sleep it off. You just watch. In the morning, he's going to be a new man. And he was. I was really excited about that. Like, okay, here, you know, we made it past the hardest point and we're ready to go. A silhouette of a tent and trees with a dark blue star-filled sky in the background fade to black. On day three, we started at 4 a.m. and it was supposed to be 10 to 11 hours. Normal people do it in about eight. We had 10 miles to cover, a little bit of up, but mostly down. Each day we were basically getting up about The team is hiking in the dark, cars, wearing headlamps. To ensure that, you know, we would get to the next campsite before it got dark. Eight o'clock on the dot, Michael's alarms started going off. So we've been hiking for three hours and we were maybe 20 minutes from the pass. And he's like, oh, it's time for my medicine. He sits down on a rock and he pulls out a Ziploc bag full of pills. And, you know, we're jokingly making fun of him. Like, what is all of that? It looked like Michael was taking a lot of pills. And so when Bernie asked him, he said it's for his blood pressure, for his back, and for his knee. And we're like, wait, 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 wait. What did you just take? And he said, oh, I took a, a muscle. muscle relaxant for my back and a painkiller for my knee. I just grabbed the bag from him. I said, we're not going to let you take anymore. And he thought I was joking. And, you know, we were kind of trying to be light about it. But, I mean, it hit us, I think all of us at the same time, that, oh, my God, that's what was wrong yesterday. That's why he was having such a struggle was that he was on medication. So after Michael took these pills, I was wondering how long would it take before this stuff kicked in. And then, sure enough, 30 minutes later, you could definitely see a change in Michael. Boom, like clockwork. He instantly started stumbling and becoming disoriented again and confused. And it, then all of us realized at the same time, like, oh my gosh, yeah. this is this is another day. Michael like walking yesterday. with his arms so draped over Michael the porter's shoulders. Again, our pace just slowed down and Juan Carlos knew that we weren't gonna make it. So the porters jumped in and had to carry him again. I think to call it anything other than like a rescue mission at this point, <laughs> you know, it's, it's really not calling it what it is. The porters are carrying most of his weight down that hill. And you can see how, how steep it drops off on the left side there and how narrow that trail is. And it's actually even narrower at other points. Okay, we are going to relax you. Relax. When you have three human beings trying to walk down that path, it's virtually impossible. So there were moments where they had to turn sideways and shimmy as a unit of three down the path because it was so narrow. Uh, there was a point where, uh, to give the porters a break, uh, Zach stepped in and did some of the assisting. 
So I am taking Zach's backpack, which has the oxygen tank, among other things in it, because Zach is about to start carrying Michael as well. We couldn't have all four porters with us because they needed to run ahead to camp and drop everything off and then come back and somebody needed to be there to guide Michael. So I'm now carrying 40 pounds of stuff on my back, but Zach has the, the much shorter end of the stick as he now has to carry a human. I definitely was not expecting I was going to have to do this. You know, you're you're almost stepping on top of your feet or Michael's stepping on top of your feet just because how uneven those stairs are and how small they are. You're trying to fit three people wide. So again, that's six feet on one step at a time and kind of taking the steps down there, you kind of get impacted with his weight on kind of every step, especially kind of the, the big steps. It's kind of, you, you take a step down and you got, you know, a hundred pounds on your back. I don't know why I thought this, but I thought Juan Carlos was walking behind us with the tether. So I kind of had this false sense of confidence that if I was going to fall forward, Carlos was going to be able to pull us back. It, that really wasn't the case. It really got extremely real to me at that point. Mm -hmm. You know, The actual hiking time was roughly around 13 hours that day, our longest day. And like I said, it was our hardest day actually hiking. For me, I was It's almost dark when the team arrives at camp. Getting into camp. I almost the porters line up and clap at their arrival. Night. Michael was just exhausted when we got to camp. And so we went to the dinner tent, and after a while, he had to use the restroom. And I remember taking Michael down to use the restroom, and it was it was a little bit of a hike just to get to the restroom. Our camp was up high on a ledge, and you had to walk down and around. So I got him into the restroom and came back, and moments later, we heard some distress. All of a sudden, we hear yelling and the porters rushing over in time to see Michael fall out of the tent and, the and he reaches up and pulls the tent down over him as it collapses. <laughs> and, um, Juan Carlos was up in a flash and, and down to Michael to save the day. The initial kind of a shock, but then the laughter quickly broke out afterwards. Had fun, joked about that. It was quite quite a spectacle that Michael fell off the toilet and broke the toilet tent. Juan Carlos had done this hike over 800 times and out of the 800 times he has had five mountain rescues, Michael being one of those, but never in all those hikes has anyone destroyed his restroom. Time-lapse photo of the sun setting, then mountains in a silhouette with the dark starry sky above fade to black. Day four we get up even earlier, 3.30 I think it was, and the goal is to get through the checkpoint to make it to the sun gate. The sun gate is where you actually see your first look at The Michael. team begins hiking in the dark. He's doing great this day. Again, he's moving a little faster. He hasn't taken any medication. The trail isn't as treacherous and, well, it's treacherous, but it's not as difficult. So he's moving along much slower than the average hiker, but we're still moving. Day four was better, but still a struggle. Still they climb steep steps using their hands and feet, almost like climbing a ladder. Steps or the monkey steps. They're very steep and very narrow, and you don't get to rest. Made it up the gringo steps, monkey steps. Yeah, now we gotta go down. Michael no. drinks water through his backpack tube. For most people, it's an hour to the Sun Gate and then an hour down to Machu Picchu, so it'd be two hours, and it took us six hours that day. Our group going slower than all the other groups. Who we were the last ones to get there? I would pass a few people, and everybody smelled real good. You know, us having hiked for the last three days, probably not smelling best, but then I realized, and others had said too, that, you know, most of the people there at that point were people that had come in 
on buses and on the train to get to the Sun Gate. Really, you know, great climactic moment of like, oh my God, we reached the Sun Gate. There's Machu Picchu. You see that Machu Picchu is actually down in a valley. So we were going to have to go down a whole lot to get to this big site that we were going to. Um, Machu Picchu was rediscovered in 1911 by a person by the name of Bingham III. I think it's H. Bingham III. He'd been out in Peru, perusing around. Over time, the forest had covered all of the Inca ruins. And so, you know, he just found them by accident, actually. And now it's considered one of the seven wonders of the world. Oh my goodness. After 26 miles, finally. I am so happy that I was your tour guide. And we did together in Catrell. Thank you so much. It was a great pleasure for me, seriously, to be guiding you here on the Inca Trail. Thank you so much. It is pretty cool. Hola, Josecito del Perú, que de tu vida, brother. It was just a, a feeling of exhilaration for me, a feeling of relief to have gotten this far after, you know, the year of training that I did. Proud to be there, excited to be there. It was just a, a real awesome thing to, to experience. Michael stands in front of Machu Picchu Mountain in his yellow Achilles International T-shirt, trekking pole still in hand, as he raises his arms in victory over his head. Michael just gets out there and does it. He doesn't really let anything stop him. Everybody has limitations, whether you have an, a disability or not. I mean, I can't run a two-hour marathon no matter how hard I'm going to try, and I'll never be able to climb Everest. But that doesn't mean I can't try. You know, you can't help but go, wow, you know, he did this. You can't help but be inspired. And Views of you know, the team walking around Machu Picchu. Commitment and courage to go ahead and push through. I think about the problems that he had, but overall it was just a good trip. And he's already talking about doing something else that, <laughs> that we're not sure he should do either, okay? <laughs> With an injury like this and the challenge it was gonna be, this would have been an easy thing to say, look, I can't do this or to put it off. That I think really is important for people to understand that you can accomplish things even in the midst of adversity. I knew he wasn't going to let any small injuries, you know, deter him from from finishing his goal that he had set out. He doesn't like being told, no, you can't do that, and I, I get that. This trip helped all of us get out of our comfort zones and experience something that we wouldn't have been able to experience without Michael, without his lead. Ward is uh, getting out little by little about the trip. And Newspaper article and titled so Climbing High about Michael's trip unfolds on the will screen. help others continue to take on new challenges, to be able to do things that they thought they might not ever be able to do, to basically live the life you want, that regardless of your abilities, that pretty much all things are possible. Basically, you can accomplish anything you want to do. Just have to take it one step at a time. <laughs> a picture of Michael and his guide standing together in front of Machu Picchu. Michael lets out a victorious yell. Words on the screen. After the trip, Robert continued training with his friends and plans to return to Peru in 2022 with his wife. Bernie and Zach are now living in Singapore due to Zach's company transferring him there. They are enjoying learning the culture, meeting new friends, and traveling to nearby areas in Malaysia and Thailand. 
Janice is back home in Colorado enjoying hiking the Western Rockies, cross-country skiing, biking, fishing, and boating. Michael continues his leadership of iBug today. The nonprofit has been recognized by the National Federation of the Blind as a positive force in the lives of blind people and whose work advances the goal of helping transform their dreams into reality. Michael is the oldest blind person, age 64, to hike the classic Inca Trail to Machu Picchu. After the hike, Michael had surgery. Then he jumped out of a plane. Michael with his instructor in tandem freefall, close up of two hands clapping and giving two thumbs up, surrounded by the clouds. Then with parachute open, Michael and his instructor coast toward the ground and make a perfect landing. Words on a black background. Cast in order of appearance. Robert, videographer, Robert Harrington, Michael, Blind Hiker, Michael McCullough, Bernie, Guide, Bernie Tretta, Zach, Guide, Zach Cater Syker, Janice, Guide, Janice Kapang, Juan Carlos, Trail Guide, Juan Carlos Corimania. Also appearing, Denise Anderson, Sister, Lauren McCullough Murph, Daughter, Sandia Rao, Friend, Pastor Michael Dunn, First Christian Houston. Swathi Modi, OD, University Eye Institute. Chuck French, Houston Adaptive Sports and Recreation. Porters and Cooks, Can Do Adventures. Ernesto, Llama, Diego, Pig, Eva, Cat. No animals were harmed or mistreated during the production of this film. Just one human. Audio description by Sabrina Martinez, Sight into Sound Recording Services. Well, do all of you in the room feel kind of inadequate? <laughs> it's like, this guy is pretty tremendous, I have to say. What a story. What a story. Um, I'm delighted that we have some time to take some questions. My question is, how did you get out of there? I hope you didn't have to walk back out. <laughs> I get asked that question every time. Great question. No, we uh, took the train back to Cusco. So, Yeah. And I slept the whole way back, and they have film of me with my mouth hanging open and drool coming out of my mouth. But we didn't put that in the film. <laughs> uh, Michael, um, since I am Latino, I, I'm interested in the food um, that they did on the trail. You mentioned it in the film, but I would like a more of a detailed description of the food. Thank you. Okay, great question, Viola. Thank you. Uh, you know, I can't really tell you the, the names of the dishes. I, I don't remember those at this point. But, uh, you know, they used uh, all, of course, you know, local foods. I mean, it was all very natural foods, uh, very healthy kinds of foods. Uh, it was a mixture of, uh, like, they would make casseroles, soups. Uh, we had uh, beef. No guinea pig on the, on the hike. But, uh, yeah, lots, lots of veggies, uh, uh, what do you call it, cocoa, cocoa leaves, which uh, helps with the altitude sickness. We'd have uh, cocoa uh, leaf tea, and also you could chew it, and that helped uh, with the altitude sickness. 
So hopefully that gives you a little better idea. That was a very good film. Enjoyed it. Um, did you have, uh, were you and Juan Carlos able to understand each other? Did he know English well enough or did you know Spanish well enough to be able to communicate with each other? Uh, yeah, he he was a very good English speaker. So he's very good. Uh, yeah, he does. He's done very, you know, quite a few uh, English uh, led hikes. And so it was communication was no issue. I mean, obviously, you could hear him. He, had, he has an accent, but uh, very understandable. This is Melissa Hudson from Washington State. And um, wow, what an inspirational piece that was. And um, I just want to say, Michael, God bless you for just what you're doing and for just inspi inspiring other people. And I'm not saying that at all to um, make it sound like, oh, you know, he's so inspirational, you know, like we all um, hear from from sighted people. I, I seriously mean that from the heart, you know, just God bless you. And my question is, um, is there a website or some place where we can um, watch this and I can send it to some friends of mine? And thank you very much again. And uh uh, bless you as you continue your journey. Thank you. Okay. Well, first, thank you for your uh, kind words. Really appreciate those. The uh, yeah, the film uh, links to the film are available. Uh, they're actually on that uh, where the film premiered, the Real Abilities Houston uh, Film and Arts Festival site. Uh, what's the best way for me to provide that link to? that it can be shared yeah why don't you share it with me and uh, we'll make it available through the convention list so people can who couldn't be here today have a chance to look at it too okay hi michael it's nikki i just want to let you know i'm going to repeat a little bit of what melissa said yes that was inspirational and you are an amazing inspiration to people worldwide both sighted and blind to understand that when you put your mind to doing something you can do it. Congratulations. It's a beautiful film. And thank you so much for everything you're doing in all the organizations that you're working in which you're working. Thank you, Nikki. Really appreciate your kind words also. And uh, yeah, I know you support us through iBug and other endeavors, and we appreciate that. Hi, Michael. I am from Oregon. And I am on a mission to produce a documentary about my husband, who was a blind skydiver with over 1,938 jumps. And I'm kind of stalled right now. And I was wondering if you could tell us how you found your producer and what some of your funding sources were, or if I can find out how to contact you directly through your website. Uh, okay. So, first, the you know as far as uh you know the producer that kind of thing uh i have a, a personal friend that's kind of in pr area in houston kind of knows everybody who knows everybody who knows everybody and uh actually she just uh saw a uh, little video that he had done I can't remember. It was on like a fire department or something, and uh, said, you know, she really liked his approach to storytelling, and uh, so she recommended I contact him, and that's how I found him. He, he's actually local in Houston, but uh, he he works all over the country, and quite reasonable too. 
as far as funding sources, th those came uh, from private donations, uh, some grants. Uh, I had a, a, a grant from like Challenged Athletes Foundation and some others. Uh, as, as mentioned in the film, you know, we originally were trying to find a corporate sponsor and that just kind of didn't material, materialize. And so, I mean, that, that's probably the you know, best way to do it if you can find a corp, corporate or multiple corporate sponsors to uh, put, it, put it together. But I, yeah, I'd be more than happy to uh, talk to you personally about that. And uh, again, I can make my uh, contact information available. Debbie Detheridge, and um, what was the hardest thing that you had to do to get ready for this? Ooh, Debbie, great question. Uh, the hardest thing that I had to do, get ready. The physical part, even though it was hard, was not the hard thing. Uh, just staying mentally prepared throughout the thing and you know, of course, there were days when I didn't feel like getting up and go working out. I mean, I was, I, I, I took this on as a, you know, being the age I was, and I knew it would take, you know, most of the people that hike the uh, Inca Trail there are like millennials, and, you know, there, there's a few older people, but uh, so I knew I had to really work hard to to get in shape to do it. Uh, so the, the physical part, even though it was a challenge, uh, I didn't think, you know, I don't think that was probably the hardest thing. But, uh, yeah, just staying mentally uh, sharp the whole time. And, uh, like I said, there were just days that, you know, I didn't really feel like doing anything. I mean, I had a very regimented schedule, worked out six days a week. I did give one day off. And, uh, you know, I did uh, – Started out slowly, just gradually building up. You know, they were talking, showed uh, walking upstairs, for example. You know, just started out climbing a few flights of stairs, and then each week would add on another couple of flights until towards the end I could easily uh, walk up and down 100 flights of stairs. And, uh, you know, then at that point I felt reasonable, comfortable in my uh physical ability and that that's the main thing i mean for that kind of a hike uh you know your legs your leg muscles all of your leg muscles are really needed great question michael i wanted to find out during the climb was there any point in that climb that you said you know i think i did as best as i can it's time for me to not continue hey Sri, great question again uh you know, because I was on the drugs, I wasn't aware of some of the crazy things that were was happening to me. And, you know, and in retrospect and looking back, uh, I did put myself and others in danger at times. And some people may even say I was a bit reckless in, you know, pushing on through with it. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't, I never really considered, you know, not doing it. I was afraid that uh, Juan Carlos was going to call it and say I couldn't go on. I, w I was, I was more concerned about that, that he would cancel the trip. Hi, Michael. Just a quick question. Are you planning on writing a book? Originally, I was going to write kind of a blind hiker's guide to hiking 
being controlled to Machu Picchu. Uh, it's still in the back of my mind, but I uh, haven't really done anything to do it. But uh, now that I've been playing with chat GPT, I might, might be able to get it done. So were, were you doing the training by yourself? Did you have a physical, uh, 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 you know, a, a, um, a, a physical trainer working with you um, when you uh, hurt your meniscus? Did you talk to doctors about what kinds of uh, medications would be useful? Uh, yes, 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 yes. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, let's see. So... Yeah, as far as the training, uh, the three guides were basically my trainers uh, because the training, the you know, the training like working out in the gym, doing treadmill, walking on stairs, all that I could do by myself. Uh, but the, actually doing hikes, you know, practice hikes and uh, getting in sync with each other, having them call out steps. They would be walking in front of me about you know, six meters or so. And uh, then, you know, you know, not only is it a hard hike for them, they're having to, at the same time, call out the, you know, whatever's happening. So, you know, they'll say, we had a system of, you know, small step, big step, or small step, medium step, big step. And a small one was like six inches or less. The medium was six to nine inches, and anything over nine inches was a big step. And then, and I, because I have, uh, you know, I, I have uh, light perception and can see shadows, I can tell if they move left or right, assuming the light, you know, the background, the contrast is just right, and I don't have problems telling if they move left or right, but, uh, and then they would have to, you know, t tell me if a step sometimes is only two inches thick or the full step. You know, sometimes I would have to step with my left foot when I think I'm going to you know, do two steps with the left foot rather than go up with the right or something like that. But uh, So we had to work out all of that in the training. That was probably the hardest part to work all that out. And so the three of them, uh, uh, two of them, uh, the couple, uh, Bernie and Zach, uh, were in Houston, so I could uh, work out with them more often. Janice in uh, Colorado, I'm, like a film said, I made four trips out to Colorado in a week at a time. We would uh, hike together each every day and uh, just working out all of those uh, commands and being able to sync each other up. Lots of I meant to ask, uh, first I want to thank you again for what you've done. This is extraordinary sharing your experience here. Uh, I know it looks like you had just some real good planning that went into pulling this whole thing off was there any one or two were there any one or two big big things that just was a stunning surprise like oh my god uh that that may have put the adventure at risk let's see so the the planning yeah you're right it, there was quite a bit of you know detailed planning that went into it uh, putting it putting together the uh training uh plan uh, the plan for the, the, as far as the film part of it, the, you know, the uh, storyboard and uh, laying all of that out, and then uh, being able to get the right shots. Uh, the majority of the film it was just, you know, shot on the go. 
uh, one take. There were a couple of times where we, uh, you know, it was a real good scenery and uh, uh, Robert, the uh, filmmaker slash photographer on the trip was, uh, may have missed it because he's also having hikes, so he can't always film everything. And so we would go back and do something to get the right background scenery or something like that. But uh, so that that part may have been uh, kind of some things where we, you know, we didn't, wasn't really planned and we had to adapt and do some things a little bit differently. I mean, we never went back and hiked back, you know, half a mile. We never did anything like that and then, you know, reshot it or anything. But uh, and of course, the uh, the knee issue, uh, and I think yeah, I didn't get your name, but the, that came up in your question too. The I started initially having knee pain about uh, six months before the hike, and gradually it kept increasing. And uh, it was uh, about a month before the actual hike is when I actually got the uh, MRI, and then two weeks. Uh, Prior to the hike, uh, he called me and said, you know, it was torn all the way through. And so at that point, yeah, I started checking with uh, multiple doctors on uh, what else, you know, just to make sure, because the, the, my main orthopedic surgeon said, you know, he thinks I can do it. Like film said, just wrap it, brace it take the drugs and uh, should be okay. But uh, that was one thing I was just kind of disappointed. The doctor didn't know that, you know, that was going to impact me at altitude. And I would have thought he would have known that. So that, that was kind of a surprise there. You know, I still haven't heard the question that I normally hear every group. What question is that? What does skinny pig taste like? <laughs> Doesn't it taste like chicken? Any guesses? Yes, chicken, grilled chicken. Okay. And there's not very much meat on it. It's like eating a rat. You just have to kind of get your fingers in there and pick all the meat out. This is Colette Arvidson from Washington State. And since, you know, kind of so we all know, there were, I can't tell how many people may have come in on some of those Zoom lines, but we're all very special and honored to be among at least 43 people who are here able to hear you tell us about your story. And then I just want to, in saying thank you, but because you, everybody may not have been able to read the script. There was so much that we couldn't, they couldn't read. So you need to know in full transparency, when it's said no animals were harmed, just one human, it also said, and one toilet. (laughs) (laughs) Michael, thank you for coming here from Houston. He arrived this morning. You know, I was thrilled. I've always heard of iBug, and now I know who made it happen. So it's great to know what you've done in addition to your um, your trip and your hike and your dream. And I'm sure our paths will cross again. And thank you so much for telling your story today. Well, thank you. Thank you, Kim. I do just want to add one additional comment. Uh, so, you know, even though the Machu Picchu hike 
I mean, that, that was something for me. That was a personal goal and personal achievement. But uh, whatever a, a mountain, your, mount, your mountain is, I mean, it can be just, you know, to get up, go walk around the block. Uh, a lot of people say, you know, I'm not a hiker. And I'll ask them, uh, what do you enjoy, you know, walking around a lake or walking out in the woods, just, you know, taking a str- easy stroll. Then all of those things just get out there and do something, move, just move your body. I know for me, just, you know, being able to move uh, not only fix, affects my, you know, my physical, but it uh, does something to the mental and the spiritual part of me. And so I highly encourage everybody to get out there and do something. Thanks. Thank you. And thank you to our Zoom host and our streamer. And for those of you who joined us in Zoom today, thank you for taking the time to be with us here. It was great to share this experience with all of you. And have a good day. Thank you.